It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout-out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate you all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Well, folks, very excited to dive into some outstanding questions that were sent in for herd mentality. And then our next conversation will be the all 22 review. Going to spend the rest of the day Monday and then Tuesday morning working on the film. And then sometime late morning, early afternoon, we'll have that entire episode ready for you to consume. Uh, Before we get into the herd mentality items, I would like to take a moment and recognize a milestone here on the podcast. January 9th, which is probably when you're listening to this episode, that marks my fifth year anniversary of doing Locked on Bills. And I am so grateful to have had this opportunity, to continue to have this opportunity. Becoming the host of this podcast has 100% changed my life. It has been a dream come true. I was nervous to jump into the world of Bills analysis, but I am so glad that I did. I'm so thankful for all the support that Bills Mafia has given me through the years. And I'm very excited for how this podcast is going to continue to grow. Moving forward, we've had steady year-over-year growth every single year that I've been doing this. We have no signs of plateauing, so thank you so much for your support, and I'll keep doing the best that I can to make this podcast worth your time every single time that you choose to push play. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's get into the herd mentality items. The first one comes from Tim. Tim says, hey, Joe, back to back to back to back. AFC East champs. After the game, I could not help but reflect on the major contributions to the Bills W. Big Baller Bean also deserves flowers because of the players he brought in, but hasn't contributed as much as we'd hoped, but were crucial last night. Dude is a wizard. Yeah, you're exactly right about this, Tim. And one of my big prevailing thoughts coming out of the game was the unlikely heroes, guys that really stepped up and made big time plays and filled big time roles. And, and guys that really hadn't done much this year and maybe even some players that we were frustrated with this year, whether that's Trent Shurfield, Deontay Hardy, Taylor Rapp, Dane Jackson, Balen Specter, Ryan Vandemark coming in for a couple of series that left tackle in place of Deion Dawkins while he was getting stitches on his hand. That's a big testament to Brandon Bean and the roster that he's assembled, not to mention the emergence of his draft class really the last two draft classes where the 2022 hall now gets you James Cook and Terrell Bernard and Khalil Shakir and Christian Benford. 
And now you have Dalton Kincaid and Osiris Torrance from this past draft. I mean, it's a really well-constructed team, and, and Brandon Bean has done such a good job of maximizing his opportunities to give this team talent. And while Brandon Bean deserves a lot of credit, so does Sean McDermott and his staff, right? You give these players to the coaching staff, and it's on them to put them in positions to be successful. And I think that win against the Miami Dolphins was such a, a perfect example of exactly that, right? Good players that have been brought in and a coaching staff that has them ready to go in a critical moment. And the depth of this team has been stressed all season long, and they come out of it 11-6 and six, and the number two seed in the AFC. Yes, definitely a big-time shout-out to Big Baller Bean and Sean McDermott for their work on this football operation. Justin says, do you think James Cook is hitting the wall as he's never been a high-usage back? If you take away the Dallas game, Cook is 17 for 73 against the Jets, 16 for 43 against Philly, 10 for 58 against the Chiefs, 20 for 70 against the Chargers, 16 for 48 against the Pats, 13 for 36 against the Dolphins. Cook has had a number, has had a great season, but seems to be wearing down to me. Also hate seeing him in goal to go situations. Seems like wasting a down. Josh should be the runner in goal to go situations. Also being, uh, not being a good drafter is ancient history. Yeah, good good call out there, Justin. Yeah, this is um this is fascinating, this James Cook entire conversation. And it, it was a big talking point for me in the offseason leading up to this year. If you guys remember, I probably had way too many conversations about James Cook and the volume of carries that he was going to get and Devin Singletary as the guy who's been the primary ball carrier for this offense and James Cook stepping into this role. And not only is he kind of a, a unique build for a feature back, 5'11", 190 pounds, right? That's not your typical stature for a, a lead back in the NFL. Uh, but just his trajectory of his career, he's never been a high-volume player, as you pointed out in the question there, Justin. Uh, this season, he's had 281 touches, which is a ton, uh, especially when you consider James Cook. For his entire college career, three seasons at Georgia, he had a total of 297 touches. Let that sink in. 297 touches across three years at Georgia. He has 281 this year after last year having 110. So it was a massive jump, and it's not incremental. It's a huge, huge jump. I mean, more than doubling, way more than doubling his touches from last year and pretty much matching his entire volume of touches from three seasons at Georgia. In one year, right? It's it was something that really it was fascinating to me. And and here we are, end of the year, and he's got this much volume. You know, Devin Singletary, who was the Bills' leading ball carrier uh the last few seasons, the last four seasons prior to this year, he ranged from 180 to 228 touches per season in four years with Buffalo. James Cook gets 281. He's had a very productive season. But I do think that James is one of those backs that needs to have a really nice complement with him, somebody that can help offset what he doesn't give, right, in terms of that downhill ability, that physicality, uh, the pass protection components, right? There's some limitations to James Cook, and he needs to be complemented effectively to really maximize the ability of this football team to run the football outside of Josh Allen. And so, yeah, I think it's fair to say that he is wearing down a bit. and um that's why I think maybe you haven't seen some of the explosive runs come through of late, um, like maybe we saw earlier in the season. And we're going to, spoiler, in a, in a little while here, we're going to talk a little bit about Osiris Torrance and his big spike in volume. And I think it'll be pretty telling for you guys as well.
Alex says, not really a question, but I wanted to shout out Ryan Vandemark. He had to come into the game for a couple of drives when Dawkins was hurt and our offense didn't miss a beat. For a young player like him to come in cold and do his job well when his number was called, to me, that speaks volumes to Vandemark's own preparedness and the character of the team as a whole. Yeah, I think that's a good call out, Alex. Offensive tackle leading into the season was such a big conversation. I was really satisfied with Deion Dawkins for sure. Uh, but a lot of questions about Spencer Brown and can he realize his, this, his ceiling this year? And then, of course, he does do that. And then you're worried about the depth and Brandon Shell retires and you're like, what's up with this depth? Ryan Vandemark was like a big story of the preseason, at least on this podcast. I couldn't stop talking about him. Thought he earned that job to be the swing tackle, but still a very unproven player that's not battle tested. Well, he's been the Bills' backup tackle all season long. Hasn't had to play much, but for him to step in in that moment, right? I mean, the Bills are trying to claw back into the game. And did you notice he was in? Did you feel like the team was missing Deion Dawkins? I know it was only eight plays, but the fact that he came in and you didn't have a, a, a low light or an issue with him on the field says a lot. And another player that this coaching staff has done a really good job of developing. So, yeah, of course, shout out to Ryan Vandemark to t- for taking his own, uh, to taking ownership in his own career and preparing and all of that, but also. Great job, Aaron Cromer, and this offensive staff to have him ready to go as well. All right, we got a bunch more to get to. We're going to talk Khalil Shakir, the Bills' run defense, Dane Jackson, all kinds of stuff here in the next segment. So be sure to stick with me. But, folks, the NFL regular season is wrapping up, and there's still plenty of time to get over to FanDuel FanDuel and get in on the action. Uh, Of course, FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. In fact, right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed. When you place a $5 bet, that's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. I love the app. It's super easy to use, and there's so many different things that you can bet on, like live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, which is the best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, the next one comes from Justin. I had another one very similar sent in by Danny, and honestly, this is one of the biggest questions that I've been asked this week. Here it is from Justin. It says, is it time to give Khalil Shakir the nod at wide receiver two? Regardless of Davis being hurt, Shakir has shown so much more to me. He's more trustworthy and consistent. How well do you think he would do as the legit number two wide receiver? Do you think there would be a drop-off like when teams knew Davis was the number two and got more attention from the defense? I really like the Diggs, Kincaid, Shakir, Cook future, plus a significant draft pick at wide receiver. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm i excited about Khalil Shakir as well. You you guys have heard me really pound the table for him ever since the Bills drafted. I talked about the necessity or the lack of necessity to force an early pick at wide receiver last year was – really me talking about how much I loved Khalil Shakir and how much better I thought he was than a lot of the prospects in last year's draft that we were discussing guys like Quentin Johnson. I was like, no, nah, I'd rather just have Khalil Shakir. Um, and I, and I think he's really coming through in all of his opportunity. I mean, he catches the targets that he gets. He produces after the catch. He's versatile, can play inside, outside. He blocks. He's a great player for this football team. And I think he's emerging, right? It's the second season and you saw a really big time year over year growth. And you guys know that I'm not high on Gabe Davis. Um, the skill set is limited. The production is high variance. 
I think he's more of a beneficiary of what's going on around him than anything he's individually doing on the football field. And I think even in a small dose last night or, you know, Sunday night against Miami, Gabe Davis goes out and that meant it really did. It meant more opportunities for Khalil Shakir and for Dalton Kincaid. And those dudes absolutely delivered. And then on top of that, you're seeing all the miscommunications with Gabe Davis, with Josh Allen. And whether you want to point the finger at 17 or point the finger at 13, the problem is that there's a lot of miscommunications that don't don't nearly exist to the same degree with the other weapons. And for a, a receiver in Gabe Davis that is a beneficiary of playing opposite of Stefan Diggs and the attention that Diggs commands, he doesn't take advantage of it, right? There's no like, oh man, Gabe Davis is going to make you pay because you paid attention to these other players. You know, no team out there is game planning for the Bills and sitting there really concerned about, oh man, what are we going to do about Gabe Davis, right? I really like Kilo Shakir, and I think I really like him as the third wide receiver. That versatility inside, outside, kind of platoon the slot with Kincaid. You can move him around, play in bunch sets, and he's really versatile. And so I think my ideal wide receiver, you know, pass catcher situation for the Bills moving forward is kind of what you said there. Diggs, Kincaid, Shakir, Cook, and then some significant investment in the draft in another guy that brings some legitimate speed. I think that's what I want to see more of, a guy that has that ability to get behind the defense, right, that has that top-end speed, but could also create with the ball in their hands and be explosive, right? That's that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for clunkers and guys that can't separate or guys that specialize in contested catches, like miss me with those guys. But I want true dynamic ability to create space and add that to this offense and let's boogie and see if see what type of production Josh Allen can have with that. And, you know, adding that but also subtracting Gabe, I think that's a good formula for this Bills offense long term. Next one here from Andrew, a question I think a lot of people are asking, particularly on the Dolphins side of things. Why do you think Miami completely avoided running the football after it proved so successful in the first half? They were playing with a lead well into the second half. Did the Bills do anything defensively to take away the good run looks? Well, yeah, the the Dolphins had, what, 100 yards rushing in the first half? And they finished the game with 108 yards rushing. So the major, major uh, shutdown by the Bills there. I think. Part of this was that the Dolphins' offense just didn't have anything going in the second half at all. Uh, five drives, 17 total plays, uh, three three-and-outs, and two four-and-outs, right? That was an amazing job by the Bills' defense. And you heard Mike McDaniel talk after the game about how the Bills started to play with more one high safety and roll that sa- other safety down in the box to take away some of those run looks. I haven't watched the All-22 yet, so I'm not exactly sure if that's true or what went down, but I think if you just look situationally at the five drives, you can understand why the opportunities to run the football weren't there. Uh, so the first drive of the second half for Miami, um, the they came out and, and got a couple of short completions on first and second down. It was then third and three, and Dane Jackson made that amazing tackle uh, to stop the, the, I think it was Braxton Barriers short of the line to gain, and they punted. Then the second drive, they go false start on the first play. Suddenly they're in second and or first and 15, and then they have an, an illegal blindside block that puts them in second 30, right? They really can't run the ball. They wind up punting. Drive three, they did come out and run the ball. And on the first play, it was a one-yard tackle for loss by Taron Johnson. Then they ran it on second down and got two yards, and you know, suddenly it's third and long. And you know, the Bills force another punt. And then drive four, they come out and throw the ball in first down. It's incomplete. 
Then it's second and 10. And then, of course, the fifth drive, there's a minute 53 left in the game. No timeouts. They needed a touchdown to tie. So I think some situational elements um, took it away from them. But I'm sure they're looking back at it and maybe wishing that they were more committed to it in the second half. I mean, meanwhile, what, two was six of 10 for 37 yards in the second half? I mean, the Dolphins had, what, like 45 yards of offense in the second half? The Bills' defense is just took everything away from them. They suffocated things in the second half. Tommy says, taking a closer look at Dane Jackson's P.I., do you think it was a potential game saver? Tyreek looked ready to take it home if he made the catch. Love Jackson, love a smart penalty. Tommy, I thought the same thing when I watched it live. Um, I saw the leverage, I saw the separation, I saw the throw, and I said to myself, he's going to house it. He's going to catch it and house it. And I think Dane Jackson did a very good job to interfere, um, which I think took away Tyreek's ability to catch that ball. And maybe if you're a Dolphins fan, you're wishing that Tyreek would have been able to play through that contact and still finish the play. Uh, But from the Bills' side of things, I think you look at that play and you think to yourself, yeah, that was a good penalty because I fear the result if it doesn't happen. You know, Tyreek Hill is, you know, he he can score a touchdown quicker than you can let out a hiccup, right? So uh, huge, huge play, good penalty. And um, sometimes there are good penalties. And I think that's a, a classic example of one. So good call out there, in my opinion, Tommy. All right, we got more to get to. I want to talk about Osiris Torrance here in just a moment. Uh, clock management, play action, all of that is coming your way. So be sure to stick with us. But folks, you got to check out Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the funnest, most exciting, easiest way to play daily fantasy sports. The format is incredible. It's just you against the numbers. It's not you against thousands of other players, including pros, including sharks. It's just you against numbers. Here's what you do you select two or more players, you pick more or less in their projected stats, and you place your entry. That is it. It doesn't take long. Picks can be made in under a minute. And then when you win, the withdrawals are super, super quick. I love. Watching all these sports right now, love them even more when I have a prize picks entry going into a slate of games. It just makes it that much fun. And you can you can mix and match the sports. If you want football and NHL and NBA, you want a college sports, you can mix it all together to create the perfect entry that you really, really love. So go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL. And use code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100 prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, let's talk about Osiris Torrance here. This question from Justin, he's got really a two parter here. The first one is this What is your idea to shore up the interior offensive line miscues going forward? Osiris Torrance can miss a block, but to step the opposite direction on the fumble, at least have to be in the way. Yeah, so Osiris Torrance has really kind of had some struggles down the stretch uh, this year. Uh, Part of that is he's played some really good players. Uh, Christian Barmore last week, this week, Christian Wilkins. You're not going to block them every single time, right? They're going to get their wins, especially for a rookie player against some bright young. I mean, Wilkins, I would say, is upper echelon player. I think Barmore is knocking on the door of that. You're going to you're going to have some some misses there, but. I haven't watched the tape, but you you know there's two big-time plays that Osiris Torrance cost the Bills, one of them being the third-and-five quarterback draw that Josh Allen got tackled um, short of the sticks because he couldn't sustain the block. And then the fumble down in the red zone, 
Osiris Torrance got whipped by Christian Wilkins and, you know, was able to create a turnover there. And that happened a couple of times last week against the Patriots as well. He's, he's had some struggles, right? And if you're part of our Lockdown Bill subtext community, you're in our Discord channel. I've shown you uh, these plays and, and they're concerning. Um, but I think by and large, Osiris Torrance has been a, a very positive asset as a starter, as a rookie this year. I think he's really helped a lot with how they want to run the football and him creating some displacement on those tackle wrap plays. And I think for the most part, he's been solid in pass protection. I mean, the Bills have given up a very few sacks this year, and Osiris Torrance has been part of that. But there is that volume component, kind of like what I talked about earlier with James Cook. You know, ramping these guys up is no small deal, right? I, th- I think we sometimes can take it for granted that, oh, well, you know, as a four-year starter in the SEC, this guy can come in and play every snap. And he's done that, but let's not act like that's not a big deal. I want to tell you his snaps by season. And just to kind of give you an idea of how much more volume there is right now. So in 2019 in college, 859 snaps. 2020 in college, 701 snaps. 2021 in college, 807 snaps. 2022 in college, 698 snaps. 2023, entering the playoffs, 1,163 snaps. He played 700 snaps last year. This is already an increase of over 400 snaps. Not to mention you're a rookie. It's your first year in the NFL. Your head's spinning. And what you forget a lot with these rookies is what their offseason is like. Their offseason is spent doing draft prep, senior bowl, combine, player, uh, you know, team visits. You're not getting ready to play a season. You're getting ready to run 40-yard dashes and how to be a good interviewer, right? Or be a good person that's interviewed. You're not learning a playbook. You're not honing in on the techniques that a team has for you. That happens next year, right? And that's why you hear so much conversation about how the biggest jump that a lot of players make is, you know, year one to year two, because finally it's an offseason where they're just focusing on football and they're focusing on playing. They know what team they're going to play for. But Cyrus Torrance didn't know what team he was going to play for until May. This year, whenever the season's over, they're going to sit down and have an exit meeting and talk about, hey, this is what your offseason needs to look like. This is what we expect from you. This is what you need to work on. And then they're going to do that all offseason long. It's just so different. So not to mention the dynamics of the offseason, but, oh, by the way, you're going to play tons more snaps this year than you ever have. Oh, by the way, you're in the NFL. It's hard, right? It's a big jump. So what could you do? Could you say, well, Ryan, you put Ryan Bates in there? You know, Torrance has hit a wall. No, I don't think you do that for because, first of all, I like the continuity component of the offensive line. It's been such an advantage for the Bills this year that they've had all five starters play every single game. It's pretty rare. So I'm not messing with the continuity. And and Torrance needs this, right? He needs to ramp up. This is going to be life for him. The Bills are going to be a team that's going to, you know, obviously 17 regular seasons games, he's always going to play over 1,000 snaps. But then here's the playoffs. Like, this is part of the deal, man. He needs this. And, And Torrance is the present and the future for as many struggles as he's had this year, he's the guy. He's your starting right guard. And I don't think you make a change or do anything about that. You let him play. You let him learn what it's like to be an NFL player and what it takes to get through a season, right? This is all really healthy for him. Second part of the question from Justin is also the snowplow situation has to have an option built onto it going into the playoffs, don't you think? Last year, 
when we would motion Gabe in behind Josh and push good teams, close the door on it, especially going against playoff teams with stud defensive tackles. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Everything has to be evolved. And, you know, I, I think, I think they can execute the push a little bit better. Um, there's some, some consistency that I think can, can happen there. And if you do those things, it's going to be tough to defend, but yeah, building in some stuff, a jump pass, uh, you know, a, a fake sneak and pitch it to the left or something. You know, remember remember that play from Mike Malarkey, Drew Bledsoe to Willis McGahee on the, it was like a fourth and one, like one of the funnest plays I've ever seen. You should do that type of stuff. You should have some counters built into it. But first of all, execute it a little bit better. I think there's some room there. And then from there, build, build some things off of it and, and really be tough to deal with. John says, my question is about end of game clock management. At the end of the Dolphins game, the Bills could have iced the game with another first down. I understand the need to keep the clock moving, but early down play calls seem to put the Bills in third and fourth and long situations twice during their, their last active drive. The play calling feels like there is a choice between either gaining positive yards or using up clock, but why? Why waste the early downs and keep the clock moving so that the offense is in a third and manageable situation. What's the virtue of sending Josh Allen on a design run to the outside with little downfield penetration, exhausting him, and in doing so, putting your offense in a low-probability fourth-down situation? In that situation, I don't understand why we don't see on early downs more aggressive downfield runs by their running backs. Yeah, look, I think this is a tough needle to thread. I, I, I really like this question, but it's a tough needle to thread because you're trying to accomplish so many things and those goals often fly in the face of each other, right? You want to bleed clock. You're trying to get it first downs. You're trying to force the other team to exhaust their timeouts. You don't want to stop the clock because of your own doing. And it's, that's just a hard needle to thread. And then it's also hard to be successful when the defense knows what you're going to do. And so the last thing you want to do is have an incomplete pass. Stop the clock. They don't have to take a timeout. There's 47, 40 seconds that are saved. But then you run the ball and you think to yourself, it's probably going to be tough to run it, but at least the clock's going to move and they're going to take their timeouts. Like, it's not easy. It's not easy to thread that needle. And despite everything that went down in that drive, I mean, the Bills were an inch away from getting that last first down. And we don't even have to see to uh, come onto the field and throw that interception to Taylor Rapp. Although that was quite satisfying, we could have avoided that whole circumstance altogether. I just I chalk it up to a, a difficult needle to thread, and again, you're trying to bleed clock, you're trying to get first downs, you're trying to force timeouts, and you're trying to not stop the clock because of your own doing. It's a tough needle to thread. It's a tough one. And But I think to the Bills' credit, they've had some success with that. And, I mean, what did they get the ball with, like six and a half minutes left? And, and nearly took out the rest of the game. Again, inches away from accomplishing that. And, of course, it helps a Josh Allen, your quarterback, and he can do crazy things. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, I think you just have contradictory objectives that fly in the face of each other, and you got to figure it out. Uh, Brian says, my question is regarding play action. You talk a lot about wanting that to be more and that Josh is very successful doing it. Why do you think the percentage is so low despite the success? I'm a coach myself, and I know – we can and do get caught up in strategy, and if we're focusing more on ourselves versus our opponent. To me, they're not mutually exclusive. You have to have some of both. With our running game improving the way that it has, the potential impact of play action seems even more enticing than before. What reasons can you think of why they wouldn't be utilizing this more? 
Folks, if you've been listening to this podcast ever, you know that I want lots of play action. I want a 30% play action rate. Josh Allen's great at it. And you know my line, I want Josh Allen to do the thing that he's great at more, right? And, and the play action percentages have been low, 18%, 20%. And I think everyone saw the graphic. I mean, so many people tagged me on Twitter uh, last night and they saw the graphic where Josh Allen was like 10 of 12 on play action for 100 something yards and two touchdown passes. And they're like, Joe, there it is. Yeah, there it is, right? It's good. So the, the question is, why hasn't it been more frequent? And uh, I don't know that I have an easy answer to this, but if I had to speculate, it's something that at least makes sense to me that I'll share, is that I think the OC change, right, the coordinator change from Dorsey to Brady, I think Joe Brady has had a bigger imprint on this offense than expected. There's more different things than I anticipated, especially passing game concepts. And so while you're trying to marry your pass concepts to your run concepts to build this play-action game, it's hard to do in the middle of the season when you didn't have the offseason to kind of lay the foundation for how you want it to evolve, right? You're, you're evolving something in, the, in it's like week 10, week 11, something like that. So I think, I think that's what it is. I don't think it's because Joe Brady doesn't want to run more play-action. I don't think it's because Josh Allen doesn't want to more, run more play-action. I think it's getting that comfort and that marriage between run concepts and pass concepts so that it can be the most effective that it can be. And that's hard to do in the middle of the season under these circumstances. I think, I honestly think that could play a big part of it. But give me all the play action, 30%. That's what I want because Josh Allen's really, really freaking good at it. And the numbers are there. And I want him to do that a lot more. Hopefully that's true in the playoffs. And then, of course, as the Bills will have an offseason to lay the foundation for the scheme and what they want to be and what they want to do, I think we, I'm hopeful that we see that, that, percentage come up over 30%. And that way you guys don't have to hear me talk about that anymore. All right, folks, this was fun. Thanks for being here. Our next conversation, the all 22 review. I cannot wait to dive into the tape and break down everything that I'm seeing for you. So don't miss that. And then of course, the rest of the week, we're going to focus in on the playoff matchup between the Pittsburgh Steelers. So take a moment to make sure that you are subscribed. We'd love it. If you took a second to rate review and share this podcast, have a great rest of your day. Go Bills, and I look forward to catching up with you again on the All-22 Review.